0: Thank you for joining us today for our River of Life podcast with Brother Bill Jenkins. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrofferville.com. That's rolcrofferville.com. Now, let's join Brother Bill Jenkins as he teaches from the Word of God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Boy, wasn't that a good, you go to church and go to a wedding. Amen. Amen. I just I can't hardly wait till that after wedding fellowship dinner. They are, they married, I have Sebastian and Amanda sitting right here. They were married last Saturday. Give them a hand. Amen. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you that you've come today in the absence of our pastor. I was thrilled to death when he called and asked if I would fill the pulpit today. Lynn and I, in these days, we have been doing a lot of other stuff, uh, not traveling as much as we once did, but uh, we're doing, unfortunately, a lot of funerals. You well, know, people still dying. Have you ever, Have you ever walked through a graveyard And read the tombstones. What are people thinking? (laughs) Right next to where our son is buried over in Perry, there's a tombstone. I tell you this, as Wendy Bagwell used to say with my hand up. The tombstone reads, he was good while he lasted. (laughs) And then, you know, there's a very famous one. uh, I believe it's up in Missouri. It says, here lies Arthur Pease beneath the flowers and the trees. But Pease ain't here, just the pod. Pease shelled out and went with God. <laughs> Isn't that good? Amen. And I love this one. Honestly, it's on his tombstone. he has got his name. The date he was born, the date he died in this inscription. I told y'all I was sick. But in walking through the graveyard the other day, reading the inscriptions, I came across this. His life honored God. What an inscription to be found on a tombstone. You've got your Bible. Please take it and turn with me to the 12th chapter of the book of John. And I want to speak for just a few minutes this morning on this subject. The life that God honors. You hear people make that statement all the time. You need to live a life that honors God, and I agree with that. But did you know in the Old Testament, as well as in the New Testament, the statement is made that there are those who live a life that God honors. You've got your Bible, John 12, verse number 26. Jesus Christ has got the disciples in the upper room. It is the conclusion of his earthly ministry. This is the last night he's going to be alive on the earth. He's got them gathered around him. What will he say? Verse number 26. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me. Here it is. Him Will my father honor? Wow. The word honor that's used here from a Greek lexicon of New Testament words means to be honest. It it carries with it a connotation of fairness and integrity in one's belief and action. And then this phrase, to hold in highest respect. According to scripture... You can live a life that when you come to the end of it, God honors you. Now, now understand that in order to live a life that, that honors God and a, a life that God will honor, you must begin with a foundation. And the foundation is Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians three eleven. The Word of God says, For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. You must be sure that you are saved. You cannot build on this foundation if you don't have this foundation. And according to scriptures, there are many people who profess the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they have never been saved. Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23 tells you all about that. And so I would ask you at the very beginning of our service today, are you saved? Preacher, I got baptized. We joined the church. Is that salvation? Not according to the Bible. And it's very important that we use the word of God in dealing with the most important choice that you will ever make in your lifetime you understand that God never sends anyone to hell. I, I have people make that statement to me all the time. They say, well, I'm just not going to believe in a God that will send anybody to hell. Here's what your Bible says. The word of God tells us over in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long. Suffering to us, word listen, not willing that any should perish, but that all men should come into repentance. Titus chapter 2, verse number 11. Here's what Paul wrote He says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. So, are you saved? You understand. That you're not going to get saved when you get ready. And people tell me that all the time. Preacher, when I get get some things straightened out. You know, preacher, when I get a little bit better. uh, You know, preacher, I just need to turn over a new leaf and try hard. No, the word of God says in John chapter 6 and verse number 44. No man comes to me unless the father draws him. Now I'm going to give you some theology real quick, all right? When Jesus Christ died upon the cross. He told his disciples right before his death. He said, it is expedient for me, John chapter number 16, that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. The comforter is the Holy Spirit of God. And according to John's gospel, the 16th chapter, when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he convicts the world of sin. Do you understand that, that when you do wrong and you immediately know you've done wrong. It's the Holy Spirit of God. Now, some of us have wives, but it's usually the Holy Spirit of God that tells us we're wrong. That's his job. He convicts of sin. When the Word of God says that there is none righteous, no not one, Romans 3.10, or when the Word of God says in Romans 3 and 23, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, we have people who justify themselves. They look at others and say, well, I'm not as bad as they are. Preacher, I, you just don't understand. I don't run with that crowd. Do you understand that the Bible teaches us that all of our righteousness, the very best that we can do is as filthy rags in the sight of a holy God. And if that's what our righteousness looks like, What must our sin look like? Your Bible says in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 23 that the wages of sin, that thing that the Holy Spirit of God is convicting you of, that the wages of sin is death. That's the payment. That's not dying and going to the funeral home. I had a fellow tell me the other day, he said, well, you know, if you're not saved when you die, you're like an old dog, but just take you out here and bury it. And that's the end of it. Sorry, that's not scriptural. In fact, what the word of God says is that when you were born, God gave you an eternal soul. And that eternal soul is going to spend the eternity in one of two places, no in between. And so the Bible says the payment for your sin is death. Eternal death. Revelation chapter 20 verses 11 and following speak about the second death. What are we to do? That's the problem. You can't do anything. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9 say this. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works least any man boast you don't have the ability to save yourself the only way you can possibly be saved is by trusting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life Romans 3 and 23 excuse me 6 and 23 we mentioned it briefly a moment ago he says the wages of sin is death but don't you love it when God butts in but the gift of God is eternal life. How is that possible? How can God look at someone who is vile and wicked and sinful such as I and say, Bill, if you're willing, I will give you eternal life. And I say, but wait a minute, God, that, my, my, my account's not settled. I've got all these sins. Somebody's got to pay for them for your Bible says the wages of sin is death. And God said, I got that covered. Romans chapter 5. And verse number eight, the Bible says that God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And so I repent. Is that important? Your Bible says, Luke chapter 13, verses 3, and again in verse number 5, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. What is repentance? It is knowing that what I'm doing is wrong and turning away from it, never to do it again. Proverbs 28, verse number 13. Can we get that up on the screen? Listen to what the Bible says. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. How do you cover your sin? By excusing it, by saying that what you're doing is not as bad as what somebody else is doing. You cover it with lies, and once you tell a lie, you have to tell another lie, and another lie, and another lie, and keep on lying until everybody knows that you're a liar. And the Bible says, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. But look what it says. But he's butting in again, isn't he? Whosoever confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. I call it the gospel two-step. You confess it, yes. But there's another step. You must forsake it. And having repented of my sins. I cry out to God. But preacher you, you don't know. You don't know who I am. You don't know what I've been doing. You don't know where I've been. If you knew you would never think I could get saved. Listen to what the Bible says. Romans chapter 10 verse number 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of You see that word whosoever. You can put your name in there. For if John, if Susie, if Bill, if Madeline, if Harry, if Pat, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, come on. I preached in Episcopal churches where they shouted more than that. Amen. God in his love toward us allowed Jesus to pay our payment. He died in our place. He took our transgressions, our iniquities, our sin, all of them. He lumped them together and he put them under the blood so that the Bible says in 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sin. All... Our so I would say to you, in order to live a life that honors God and in order to live a life that God will honor, it begins with salvation. But that is only the beginning. God desires much more Than just salvation for you. Much more than being saved. And seated and waiting upon the Lord Jesus Christ to return. God has a plan for your life. Regardless of who you are. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 10. The word of God says. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. Unto good works that he God hath before ordained that you should walk in them God's got a plan and his plan is for your life he you said well i believe that for preachers he's got a plan for everybody he's got a plan for plumbers amen he's got a plan for painters He's got a plan for people that work with their hands and people that work with their minds and people that work with their backs. He's got a plan for everybody. Matthew Gospel, over in the fifth chapter of Matthew, this is what the Bible says. Let your light so shine before men. Why? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. You want a life that's going to honor God? You want a life that one day God will honor? Find out what his plan is for you. And walk there There's a third thing. If you are going to live a life that honors God, and if you're going to have a, a, a life that God will honor, it, it must begin with salvation. And then we must serve him. But, but it goes a step further. And I'm afraid that some of us in the kingdom have forgotten this third step. For to be pleasing unto him, to honor him, I must live a life of sacrifice. Luke chapter number 9, verse number 23. This is what Jesus said. And he said unto them, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And we're not talking about salvation here. We're talking about a life after that, we are saved. When we've got it nailed down, First John chapter 5 says, by these things you can know that you're saved and we know that we're saved and we've nailed it down and we're seeking the will of God for our life and then we're willing to pick up that cross and go whatever he, wherever he tells us to go and do whatever he tells us to do. Luke 14 verse number 27 The Bible says, and whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. Get real nosy. Is that all right? Preachers are prone to do that, you know. What are you giving up? For the glory of God. What is it in your life? That you've cut loose so that God may fill you with his grace. Hebrews chapter, excuse me, Romans chapter 12. You know the scripture, very familiar passage of scripture. Hebrews chapter 12, excuse me, I won't say it 10,000 times, I guess. Romans chapter 12, verse number one. It's what Paul said. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. I beg you in the Greek. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Listen to this, which is your reasonable service. After all he's done for you, after forgiving your sin debt and removing the the, the thing that would damn you for eternity, after giving his son to make a payment for your life, After he's done all of these things and given you life and strength, it is the least you can do to be a living sacrifice. (laughs) So how does God honor those who live for him? I've worked on this all week. I want to know. I want my life to honor him. But the scripture says that he will honor a life that's dedicated to him. And I found three areas in which he's going to do it. And the first one is this. He's going to, air, he's going to honor us in the area of living a life for his honor and for his glory. The world's definition of success and God's definition of success completely different. Uh, the world tells you that you, you, you've you got to succeed. You've got to try harder. You, you've got to become that athlete. You've got to become that singer. You've got to become that personality. You've got to become that politician. You've got to succeed in life. You've got to come up. And then in the process of coming up, you get a big house. You get a lot of fancy cars. You get a lot of jewelry. You get a big name. And you're a success. I looked on uh, the Internet. And, and, and so many of y'all young people... Y'all, y'all just, y'all amaze me the way you get on the internet and go from place to place. Some of us who might be just a little bit more mature. <laughs> we have problems sometimes. So I, I Googled this. Celebrities who've committed suicide. There's a website called Wikipedia. I opened it up. Do you know that since the year 2000, they didn't go back any further than that. Since the year 2000, there've been almost 500 people, celebrities who've committed suicide. And, and, And it's amazing when you began to read this website, they're professional athletes, they're actors, they're singers, they're songwriters, they're musicians, they're playwrights, they're presidents and CEOs of company, all of them, 26 pages. One page for every letter of the alphabet, filled with people the world calls successful. And yet they came to a place where they said, this is not worth it. There's a picture of a gentleman on your screen. His name is Philip Adams. As you can see, he's a professional football player. He went through college, did all the things you're supposed to do in college. He was outstanding. He he was drafted by three or four different groups. He became a professional football player. At age 33, he walked into a home and killed six people. And the next day turned the gun on himself. The world says he's a success. This is what we're trying to push our children into being. The next picture please, this is Stephanie Adams. Beautiful, isn't she? Professional model, had the world by the heels. Everything you could possibly imagine for luxury in life, she has. Until the day on top of a 26 story building, she pushed her seven year old son off. And then she jumped to join him. Successful? Oh, no. People quickly understand that there is a roaring lion out there walking about seeking whom he may devour. And he will destroy you. You know what Jesus said about the devil? Here's what he says. John chapter 10, verse number 10. He says the thief has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what Jesus said about the devil. Again, over in John's gospel, the eighth chapter in verse number 44, he says he is the father of murderers and he is the father of all liars. When he's offering you the world and all of its treasures, understand he always pays off with fool's gold and paste pearls. However, there is a life That God calls successful. In fact what you find in Romans chapter 8 verse number 37. Is this Paul is writing this. He says nay in all of these things. We are more than conquerors through him that loved him. Have you read this book lately? Do you know that in this New Testament. And I know some people just carry a New Testament. But I carry both of them you know. It's like having a double barrel shotgun. You never know when you're going to need that other barrel. <laughs> <laughs> no. Romans chapter number 14, again in first John chapter, uh, me, first Corinthians chapter 10. This is what the Bible says. It says, Study this book. To show thyself approved, the workman needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God, Paul said. As you study this book, you know what you find? You find the story here of people that were nobodies that God elevated to be somebody. You find stories here of shepherd boys who killed giants. You find stories in here of of, of, of men that prayed and shut the mouths of lions. You find stories in here of men who sought after God and quenched the violence of fire. You find in this Bible more than conquerors. In this life, they lived for the glory of God and the victories abounded in the life of the children of God. Their barriers were broken down. Walls of hate and walls of separation were removed. Crowns of glory were won. Why? Because they had entrusted their life and their keeping to a God. You ready? Who cannot fail. <laughs> Woo! he's already won the victory he has already made us victors in Christ Jesus he's already elevated us past- hey that doesn't mean you're going to be rich that doesn't mean you're going to be famous that doesn't mean that the people of this world will ever know your name but dear friend if you'll stay hooked up with him if you'll live your life for his honor and for his glory they'll come a day according to the word of God when he will honor you I got to go quickly <laughs> not only will he honor you in this life and but he is doing that I've seen some walls broken down since I've been here at River of Life I've seen him win victories that I did not think were winnable because he's God but dear friend not only will he honor you in life he will honor you in death I told this to Brother Henry about a week or so ago, and he said, you're fixing to make me run all over this building. Wouldn't that be good to see again? Do you understand that when a child of God dies, Romans 14, 3 comes into play. Jesus Christ said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I'll receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. When you close your eyes in death as a born again child of God, the first thing that happens is that you see Jesus face to face. You get to see him with his nail prints in his hands. You get to see him who gave his life as an atonement for your sin. You get to see him who has been the great mediator of your life, the entirety of your life. You get to see him who is set at the right hand of God the Father making intercession for you. Do you know what that means? There are times, and I know that God's in heaven, and he sees me do something stupid, and I know that that's probably hard for you to get a grasp on, but that happens about 50 times a day. And just about the time God in righteous anger is ready to strike me down because of my stupidness, Jesus Christ steps in. He's my mediator. He's my intercessor. He said, don't kill him, Lord. I'm still working on him. There's an unfinished part in there. I'm still trying to get him to be transformed into the image that you would have him to be. He's our son. There have been those that God gifted in their time of death to see the unexplainable. One of those is recorded in Scripture, Acts chapter number 7. There's a young man there, a young man, who is so committed to God that, that he refuses to shut up. Have you ever met anybody like that? And they told you, you're going to shut up, we're going to kill you. He's preaching. And the Bible says they bring him outside the city walls. And as they're there, they pick up these big rocks and they begin to throw them at Stephen. And he, he's being pelted with these great big rocks. And he's about to die. And the word of God says, Acts chapter number seven, verse number 56. He looks up into heaven and he says, I behold, see the heavens opened, and the son of man standing at the right hand of God the Father. Do you understand this? Jesus is always seated at the right hand of God the Father. But on this particular day, when Stephen is dying, and Jesus stands in honor. My alarm just went off. I'm supposed to be through. There was a great preacher a little over 100 years ago by the name of D.L. Moody. He, 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 was, he wasn't saved until he was, you know, like 19 or 20 years old. He was working in, a, in a, a shoe store, and he got saved by a Sunday school teacher by the name of Kimball. And God used him to shake two continents for the glory of God. He was ignorant and unlearned. He didn't say Daniel. He said Daniel. He didn't say Job. He said Job. Okay? But God used him. He come to his dying bed. And this is recorded. You can look this up. On his deathbed, D.L. Modi said, looking into the heavens, Oh, this is marvelous. This is wonderful. Earth is receding. Heaven is coming down. This is my coronation day. In his dying moment, John Wesley, the father of Methodism, stated, All the half has not been told of the glories of God I see as I transcend into the presence of my maker. Walter Scott, y'all remember Walter Scott? He's the guy that first started smoking. Listen, he says, On his deathbed, They said, Walter Scott, what do you see? He said, regions of everlasting bloom and beauty. And the list goes on and on and on. But I've got a personal one I have to share with you. I met the man in 1985. He's one of the most godly men I've ever been around. He wasn't a preacher, wasn't a deacon, wasn't an elder. Just a godly man. He, He was raised up during a time that he didn't get to finish high school. He had to drop out of school and help his family support the family. And because of his lack of education, he never held a big fancy job. Most of his jobs were menial through his life. Biggest house he ever lived in was the one he died in. Just over 1,500 square feet. A concrete block house. He got married, had two girls. Back in the late 50s, uh, an evangelist by the name of E.J. Daniels came to Pierce, Florida. Held a revival meeting that lasted almost five weeks. That would kill most of us right off. During that revival, this man went forward and got saved. He got so glorious cl- saved. 2 Corinthians 5:17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. He became a new creature. Old things were passed away. Behold, all things were made new. His wife, now with two teenage daughters, said, I didn't marry a preacher and I'm not gonna be married to a preacher. And she left him. He went three times to get her and bring her home from other men's homes. The fourth time, they divorced and he's left to raise two teenage girls. In the church that he was attending, There was a lady, this is several years past now, and her husband died of cancer. She was a godly woman, had two two sons, both of them grown. And so they got together and they married. The wedding ring cost less than $10. No riches, no value. As life progressed, they served God. He was a great soul winner. His wife, the first wife, after being used up by the world, now sick, was placed into a nursing home. No one would go see her. Many times she'd lay there in the filth and the squalor until one of the aides come by to change her diaper. And this man and his wife found out about it. And so every weekend, they went to the nursing home and they sat with his first wife. And they changed her diaper. And they sang gospel songs to her. His life went on. Till the day came that they told him he had cancer. He was completely ate up stage four. He went to Gainesville for some treatments. You know how those things go. He came home. At a little 1500 square foot house. They put a hospital bed in the front room of the house. And he would lay there. Until finally, he went into a coma. He'd been in that coma three or four days, nothing to eat, nothing to drink. His wife and his oldest uh, stepson were sitting by his bed at 9.30 on a Tuesday morning. They were playing gospel music in the background. And this man that had been in a coma for three or four days, all at once, sat up, looked out the window and said there comes my Jesus and he laid back and he died God doesn't do that for everybody but he did it for Stephen he did it for Dale Moody he did it for R.G. Lee he did it for my friend but may I go just a step further and I know I've got two minutes. God honors a life that is built on the foundation of salvation, that is lived in service and sacrifice. He honors that life in life by giving victories. He honors that life in death. And then here's this last thing. There'll come a day when you'll stand before him and according to the word of God, Second Timothy chapter seven, verse, chapter four, verses seven and eight. Paul the apostle doing the writing. Paul said, "I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept my faith. Henceforth, because of the way I lived my life for the glory of God, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Listen to this, which the Lord, the righteous Judge, shall give me in that day, and not to me only." but to all them that love his appearing. Can you imagine? The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, walking up to you and honoring you by placing a crown on your head because you lived, not for the flesh, not for success, but for the glory of God. Living a life that brings honor to God. Living a life that God honors is a choice. It is a choice that you have to make every day of your life. It's a choice that you have to make today. You're here this morning and you know that you're not saved. The Holy Spirit of God has already spoke to your heart or you might have been baptized. You might, you might have joined the church, but you know that you've never truly ever been saved to the point that your life has been radically changed and you would like to be saved. It's your choice. Nobody's going to come to you. Nobody's going to grab you by the arm and drag you down an aisle. You have the choice. You said, preacher, I know I'm saved. I know I'm saved. Are you living for it? Are you sacrificing for it? You see, it's your choice. Your choice. No preacher, nobody's going to force you to serve God. It's your choice. Would you bow with me, please? Father, I ask you, Lord God, to move among this congregation. Thank you for each and every one that's here. But God, if you have spoke to my heart, and I believe you have, And you've directed me to preach this sermon, and I believe you have. There was a reason. There are those in this congregation this very moment who need to make the choice. And Father God, I pray that none of the demons of hell, the devil, or any of the lies of Satan would be able to keep them from making that choice this morning. This morning. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. And when I do, I'm going to ask you if God has spoke to your heart, do not delay. If you, if you stop, Satan wins. As soon as you stand to your feet, make your way to the aisle, come to this altar. We have people here that will meet you. You've got a choice to make. Are you ready? Let's stand to our feet, please.